following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Good morning. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Guy Huglet. Yeah. Mike Johnson in there this morning. That was a nice, easy, smooth intro. Oh, yeah. So you going to tell us who that is? That's Tyler Childers. I was talking to a guy a couple days ago, and he said, you know, y'all need to play some Tyler Childers on there. Really? Yep. How about that? Now, he's, he, tell us a little bit about him. So he's a Kentucky boy born in Lawrence County. Um, He moved to Paintsville. um, And from everything I've heard, I've I've listened to him some, um, but everything I've heard, I mean, this guy's about ready to really break out. You, You, what do you, have you seen him Garrett? Oh yeah. And he already, he's broken out. He's, he's outlaw country at this point. He's a big name. Uh, and he's going to be at the Railbird festival, uh, here in Lexington on August 10th and 11th uh-huh. next weekend, I guess, is, uh, out of Keeneland. Is he one of the headline acts out there? Yeah. Okay. He's a, he's a big name out there. I actually heard too. He sold out Red Rock. Oh yeah. Did he really? I just yeah. got back from Red Rock. How about I, that? I had the opportunity of seeing Cody Jinks at Red Rocks about the, two, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. One of the all-time great venues to see a show, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. It doesn't but, get better than that. It doesn't. It's, it should be a bucket list for anybody that loves music. Yeah. Without pure, pure, pure. So you know you've made it big when you're selling out Red Rock. So yeah. That's great. I love it. <laughs> Woo! Um, want to go over uh what happened in the market this week uh it was it was a down week in the market um the dow for the week was down 2.6 percent the s p was down 3.1 and the nasdaq was down 3.9 percent um the tech stocks really really got their head knocked off this week um for a number of reasons and two two things we'll, we'll get into in this segment um, but you, you had job numbers come out yesterday. Um, re- really, there's three three big things. You had job numbers yesterday, which were good. Um, Wednesday, you had the Fed cut interest rates right. for the first time since 2008. And Thursday, you had the tweet 
from Trump. <laughs> the tweet. <laughs> the tweet. All right. Uh, more tariffs on China. So all three of those things um, uh, had an impact this week. Um, but let's. I want to go over what happened in the jobs report because um, this is something that everyone should be aware of what's going on. You know, because this this really cuts to the how strong is the economy. You know, this is where you see if you're uh, having inflation. You know, wage wage inflation. You know, are people hiring? Uh, but non-farm payrolls, uh, they rose by 164,000 in July, and the uh, unemployment rate held uh, right at the 3.7%, uh, which is close to its 52-year or 50-year low. Um, uh, hourly wages, uh, they advanced 3.2% from a year earlier. Um, so overall, the markets, uh, the job market's healthy. Um, but what we're seeing, you know, this is kind of a counterweight to what we're seeing from a global standpoint, uh, with, you know, trade fears and what's going on around the globe. Um, so it was, I thought it was, a, it was a good jobs report. It was a great jobs report actually, cause we're holding steady. Right. So if you, if you take what we're, we're averaging 164,000 new jobs monthly, for 2019 now that's slowed a bit compared to 223,000 was our monthly average last year right but there's a couple of things I wanted to kind of speak to as it relates to this uh, we're seeing a little bit of slowing in our job growth for good reasons not bad reasons good reasons mm -hmm. okay number number one is automation that's right I mean let's just be honest hey we are becoming more and more automated. It's it's amazing the things I'm starting to see as it relates to automation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, union membership is continuing to decline. Really? Yes. Interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and probably for obvious reasons. I mean, with what we're dealing with with the tariffs and trade and you know overseas manufacturing, but. This one I thought was really interesting, and uh, I contemplated this for, for some time, but one of the reasons people are less likely to move or take certain jobs is because of non-competes. Right. And you're seeing non-competes not only on the permanent basis, but you're seeing non-competes on a temporary basis. So you take some of these top global staffing companies, they have non-competes with some of their folks. And... Uh, they're less likely to move because of that. Now, here's this is another interesting reason for slower job growth. The gig economy. That's right. Now, that's becoming a big deal, as it we is. all know. It is. Okay? And then lastly, I've already mentioned it, is, is globalization. But, you know, when I started looking at the average, the average wage in America is almost $28 now. Right. An hour. But the real... Entry level wage is what what you really want to look at. United States, it's eight bucks. I mean, it's fifteen bucks in Mexico. It's eight. Yeah, and I'm not real sure what it is in China, uh, but I'm sure it's probably much lower. much lower than that. Yeah. So you know, all of these things are starting to you know really impact why we're not seeing much growth. And then you have people that have just quit looking for jobs. Right. 
And that's another factor. So our economy is good. It's healthy. It's robust. Absolutely. And we need to keep talking about that. If you look at the the underemployment or what you were talking about, people not looking, mm-hmm. um, so the, the broader measure um, is about 7%. Okay. Um, which uh, that includes uh, people that are discouraged from looking for work, uh, part-time jobs who want full-time work. So unemployed and underemployed, uh, that's around the 7% range. Uh, and that's actually ticking lower too. Yeah. But that's that's part of the reason too for the, uh, uh, you're not seeing as much wage inflation because there's still this pool of unemployed that employers are able to pull in. Yeah. Um, and so that's, it's it's good from a uh, from the economy standpoint because you're not seeing wages. You know, it's not inflationary. Yeah, and another thing that we're starting to hear a lot more about is how to really measure our unemployment and numbers, uh, our job numbers. There's a lot of people out there that have just they're not being measured because they're not looking, but they really are looking. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're going to have to come up with different ways to evaluate this. These numbers that we get, you know, these are folks that are actually, you know, probably receiving some type of benefit right now for being unemployed, whether it's, you know, a social service program or just unemployment insurance. But, you know, they're, they're looking for jobs for four to six weeks to continue to keep their benefit. But there's a lot of other people out there that maybe are working part-time now but really still looking for a full-time. They're not measured in any of these numbers. That's right. So, anyhow. One thing I want to touch on real quick before we go to the break. Um, so, Thursday, when uh, Trump tweeted that they were going to impose – uh, uh, tariffs on an additional uh, amount from China. Uh, I believe it was 10% tariffs on yeah. 250 billion, uh, da, 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 uh, 300, 300, uh, 10% tariff on 300. Uh, so this this will include everything from, you know, where before it was more the industrial side, this will be more on the consumer side. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to look at this is all this is all political negotiation um who has more leverage right now and you know china they have they have challenges right now uh their economy slowing down Mm -hmm. um so there was a there was an interesting article uh talking about this you know how what is china's options for retaliating you know they said they're gonna uh strike back you know tit for tat for whatever we put on them well, they have to be careful because their economy is slowing down. Our economy right now is strong. Um, so you look at, for example, um, private uh, U.S. employers uh, in China. Uh, they have they employ roughly two million uh, Chinese uh, locals, uh, U.S. multinationals. Wow. Um, so if they really go after these multi u.s multinationals they're going to be hurting they're going to, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot um you look at the tariffs that they imposed on the u.s uh when we hit them with uh 250 billion in tariffs you know they imposed about 110 yeah um because they export a lot more mm-hmm. um sure they do so 
they have they don't have the position of strength um, from everything I've read, everything I understand that the U.S. does. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Now the tariffs don't go into effect; these additional tariffs don't go into effect until uh, September first. Um, so we'll we'll wait and see if they even do this or not. Well, and when I think of China, I think of technology, and then of course let's let's talk about Apple. Apple took a, a, right. a big hit this week, right? Friday. Was it Friday? They, I think I read something or that they lost about $40 billion in market cap because uh, of the iPhone, right? Well, when their earnings came out, um, it, was, it was strong. So on Thursday morning, uh, the, the stock uh, was rallying up. And then when the tariff, tariff announcement tweet. came, because they almost got back to a trillion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I forget, and it got up to about 217 or so. It closed yesterday at 204. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but they would be directly affected by this tariff quite a bit. I heard consumer electronics is probably the area that was going to take the biggest hit. That, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and that's not even considering, um, you know, nationalization types of uh, things, you know, Chinese consumers saying, I'm going to buy Huawei instead of instead of iPhone. Um, so we'll see how all it plays out. Uh, but it's interesting right now. Yeah, it is. We're going to take a break and uh, stick with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP. Democrats terrified of 2020. Things are going to get a lot worse in 2020. The 2020 election with a capital E happens here. We are all going to witness this again in 2020. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with. You will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. I like this guy. He's good. He's, he's good. Really good. Kind of a Chris Stapleton tone on his Very voice. Very much so. Yeah. He's a Sturgill Simpson protege. Oh. Uh, okay. Sturgill, Sturgill got his career started for him, and then now I think he's taken off so much, Sturgill can't stop him. <laughs> it's great. Love it. So... Another thing that happened this week I want to talk about, get into, little, get into the weeds a little bit on this, um, was the, the interest rate cut 
um, on Wednesday. Um, so the Fed uh, cut rates uh, by 25 basis points. That's a quarter of a percent. Uh, now, this was broadly expected by the market. Uh, now, the market was also you know, hoping uh, there was some speculation that it would be a half a percent cut, uh, but they cut by 25 basis points. Um, and they cited primarily – so this, this is interesting – if you think about it, so they cited the reason yeah. uh, as uh, global, you know, slowdown, global trade worries. And then the day after they make the announcement, you get the tweet that they're imposing these additional tariffs. Oh, so, come on. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, because uh -huh. now they're in the position, because Trump wanted the Fed to cut rates more than 25 basis points. And so they come out and say, well, we're cutting at 25 basis points because of this trade. And now he says, okay, well, we're going to slap some additional tariffs. Is that forcing them to cut by another 25 basis points? And round and round we go. Yeah. And then, they, then they're then they now talking about quantitative easing. So this is the part that I yeah. found really interesting. So a little, little history lesson on quantitative easing. So rewind back to the financial crisis. Um, there were uh, four, uh, well, three actually, uh, well, four if you include one other one, four uh, episodes of quantitative easing. Now, what quantitative easing is... Yeah, explain what that is. is so they lowered rates to zero uh, during the financial crisis. So unless they were going to go to negative rates, the only other thing they could do was buy mortgage bonds and treasuries when when the fed buys these that puts more uh liquidity into the banking right. area which should so, they should then loan out and for the listeners to understand this the fed funds rate is the rate of which banks borrow money overnight right okay i just want to make sure everybody understands that so let me do just a quick history on the quantitative easing um so the first one was on November 25th of 2008, and this is hard to believe. I remember we were in here talking about QE when they were doing this, uh, and so it's hard to believe it's been 11, 11. almost 11 years yeah. since this happened. Right. But the first one, they bought uh, $600 billion in agency mortgage-backed securities and agency debt. Um then, uh, after they did that, they started quantitative easing, too. Uh, this happened on November 3rd of 2010. Uh, they bought $600 billion of longer-dated treasuries, um, and they were buying it at about $75 billion a month. Then, uh, let's see, in 2011, yeah. uh, it was called Operation Twist. Um, and essentially what they were doing in this, they were changing the makeup of the Fed balance sheet, um, switching from uh, shorter duration to longer duration or maturity bonds. And then uh, QE3 happened uh, September of 2012. And this was kind of an open-ended uh, uh, quantitative easing. Uh, they were buying, I believe it was $40, 40 billion a month. Um, yeah. Uh, of treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities. And then they started tapering this in 2013. Now, the reason I'm going on the history on this, this is the stimulus that the Fed has been putting into the economy. So they've been, 
low rates and they started unwinding their balance sheet um I guess it was last year, in the last several months, you actually saw the balance sheet start to shrink from the Fed. It was over $4 trillion, probably around $4.5 trillion. Last I looked, it was around $3.8 trillion. Um, so th- it was it was tightening, right. monetary now, when tightening. You, when you speak of the balance sheet, mm-hmm. give us the components of the balance sheet. So just like a company balance sheet, you have assets and liabilities. Right. The liabilities would be cash, bank deposits, things like that. The asset side is the the treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Mortgage-backed securities, right. Um, and they've been trying to unload the mortgage backs um, and get more on the treasury side. Um, but as they unwind the balance sheet, as they shrink it, that pulls liquidity out of the market. So it's it has essentially the same effect as raising rates. So they were they they raised rates last year and they were tightening. Yeah. And the whole time all this QE 1 and 2 and 3 was going on not to be confused not to be confused with the Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although you you wonder think about what was really going on in the in the ground zero economy. We had all these mortgages in default. We had all these banks in deep trouble. Right. Heck, we had a couple of, you know, several banks had been bailed out by Congress. Right. Okay. Then we had the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. (laughs) Yeah. So then banks were, you know, these restrictions were put on them. Hamstrung. Nobody could borrow money. I mean, we had, it it was a nightmare out there. Right, right. It really was. It's interesting to me that when I heard the the headline, they've first time they've lowered rates since December eighth. That really caught me by, or I mean December of two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. They really caught me by surprise. You forgot, yeah. that we were down to zero. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Right, right. It's pretty interesting stuff to really talk about. And they they moved because uh, they're they're moving to balance sheet neutral position, and they moved that time up two months is what they did on this uh-huh. uh, so again that's uh, uh an easing move it's not a tightening move that's an easing move um so the the market reacted um uh, it, was, it was in a negative way because the market was hoping for 50 basis points um and 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 the the language of jay powell the market reacted negatively mm-hmm. on wednesday uh, but you combine where we are from an, uh, uh, the employment numbers, right? You know, earnings of companies. You know, the overall economy is strong. The consumer is strong right now. It's good. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 6:30 WLAP. Stick around. It's time to stop smoking, folks, and break free of your poisonous habits. With over 
over 6,000 chemicals in one itty bitty cigarette. Your body cannot take much more of that. Stop in the Magic Paper Shops and let us help you find the right setup for your personal needs. Because we got the answers to the test of breaking free. Magic Paper Shops are in London, Corbin, Somerset, Georgetown, Nicholasville, Lexington, and good old Winchester. Or break free anytime at www.magicpapershop.com. Another twist on an old scam. Don't fall for this new publisher's clearinghouse scam. Better Business Bureau's president and CEO, Rihanna Smith-Hamblin, has more. Consumers are receiving phone calls saying they've won tons of money in a new car. All the consumer has to do is purchase a prize registration license. The scammer will end up with your bank or credit card information. Don't fall for it. For substantial winnings, the Real Publishers Clearinghouse will knock on your door. For more tips, go to BBB.org. ASAP Rocky is back in the U.S. The rapper arriving in Los Angeles from Sweden Friday night on a private jet. A Swedish court freeing the rapper early on Friday. ASAP Rocky stood trial for the beating of a 19-year-old man in Stockholm back in June. ABC's Julia McFarlane has more. The decision for that verdict is expected on August 14th. Meanwhile, though, just a few days before that, ASAP Rocky is scheduled to perform at the Real Streets Festival in Anaheim. His performance had been in doubt whilst he was held in Sweden, and he's not required to return to Sweden for the reading of that verdict. Protests continuing in Puerto Rico over the changeover of power. The outgoing governor, Ricardo Rosseo, choosing his successor, veteran politician Pedro Perluisi, who was sworn in as the next governor. Perluisi telling reporters Friday night if the Senate votes no, he will step down and hand the governorship to the next in line, the Justice Secretary. I'm Michelle Franz in ABC News. We're going to hang on to a mix of sunny clouds across the area for your Saturday. It's the first weekend of August, so it's on the muggy side. Watch out for a scattered thunderstorm trying to flare up this afternoon. Certainly not everybody getting in on the boomers. Same old forecast for Sunday. Fog in the morning, the threat for scattered afternoon and evening thunderstorms to follow. Make it a great one. I'm WKYT Chief Mirage's Chris Bailey on your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. When patients leave the hospital, they think the worst is behind them. But surprise medical bills can be devastating. Millions of Americans receive costly surprise medical bills each year they thought was covered by insurance. And get this patients get stuck with bills while insurance companies walk away with big profits over $35 billion last year. Rural America gets hit the hardest, especially rural Kentucky. Insurance companies want to make it worse by refusing to pay rural doctors for their services, ultimately leading to a shortage of health care in our rural Kentucky communities. Congress has a choice. Side with insurance companies that refuse to pay their fair share or provide doctors with the resources to administer life-saving treatments to patients. Tell Senator Mitch McConnell that it's time to stop surprise billing, hold insurance companies accountable, and stand up for Kentucky doctors and patients. Paid for by Dr. Patient Unity, LLC. Baseball season is in full swing. It's a good thing Matt secured his denture with Super Polygrip. Now he can enjoy the snacks as much as the game. Polygrip. It's that time of year when the family meets up. Hi, come on, get together, guys. Family 
photo. It's a good thing Jack cleans his denture with Polydent, so he can enjoy the whole day with confidence. Polydent. 6.30 WLAP. Well, the raven is a wicked bird. His wings are black as sin. And he floats outside my prison window, mocking those within. And he sinks to me real low. It's hell to where you go. You didn't murder Cade McCannon. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Yeah. All right, Garrett, who we have here? This is uh, Coulter Wall. He's a young gentleman from Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan? Yeah. yeah. We went there on a, uh, a business trip. We were uh, meeting with a company uh, that we were looking to invest in. Uh, we drove from... Um, um, Oh, where was it? Calgary. Calgary. Over to Saskatoon. Eight-hour drives, flattest <laughs> land I've ever oh, seen. Yeah. We go from mountains to flat. But I tell you what, that guy, he's he's got kind of the Johnny Cash oh, way. Absolutely. It, it catches you the first second it's you listen. It stays with you, too. Yeah. 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 I thought correct. I was listening to Johnny yeah. Cash. Yeah. Now, is he going to be here next week? For no, the... he's not. Oh. I wish. Oh, love it. Coulter. Coulter Wall. All right, so we were talking about interest rates. Now, how do companies use this, uh, you know, low rate environment to their advantage? Um, it's interesting. You look one one particular example uh, is FedEx. Um, so everybody has heard about you know underfunded pensions. You know, from be it from <laughs> do you think do you think <laughs> from the the state level Woo! to you know the the company level. Um, and th this right here, this gives an example of the efficiencies of the market. You know, companies are always looking how to deploy cash in the most efficient way. And FedEx, uh, they have an underfunded pension. Uh, and what they're able to do, uh, they've actually been issuing bonds. Uh, they sold a billion dollars uh, worth of bonds in the U.S. and a billion in, in, in euro bonds. Um, and they're using this money to fund not a hundred percent of it, but uh, to to do a, a, a funding of the pension, because the uh, uh, pension benefit guarantee corp, the PBGC, uh, they charge uh, a, a premium basically, uh, a fee uh, if it's an underfunded pension, because it's you know insurance if you will, um, and they charge four point three percent. Yeah, but. FedEx was able to issue the bonds uh, in the U.S. with a 3.1% coupon uh -huh. and the uh, European bonds at a 0.45%. So there are, again, efficiencies of the market. Now, you could make the case, well, you know, they shouldn't be issuing bonds for a, a liability like this. Well, it's a more efficient use of their capital. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Really. I mean, they're... What they raise about a billion dollars for uh, their two, fund? Two, two billion if you include the euro. In the euro bonds. Okay. So what they took a pretty significant, they were at 
uh, where they were 94% funded in September of 2018, and that dropped to 88% at the end of June. Mm-hmm. And what would be the reasons for that? The market conditions? Or well, what? no, actually, it's um, interest rates uh, because. Uh, uh, the the funding of a pension, you, you, you apply a discount rate okay. to the funding of a pension. The lower interest rates are, the higher that present value is. Okay. So sure. as, as interest rates are practically zero, they are. Then you, that that present value of that liability is much higher. That's correct. And so in in the June timeframe, you're having rates, you know, uh, higher, um, and that lowered the present value. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, it, it cuts both ways because in a lower-rate environment, um, also you're not getting you know, the same kind of yield on your uh, investments. Um, and this is, this is something that you know, we deal with with our clients when we're building out the portfolio. You know, how do we generate yield, enough income, for them to live on? To live on it. Uh, I, you know, I st- when you think about what we're dealing with in Kentucky – and this is something all everybody's talking about and the problems we have with our state government pension fund, I get a sense of comfort about FedEx in the fact that, you know what, they're dealing with the reality of their pension fund, mm-hmm. and they've, they've come up with a solution right. to solve it. And it's a shame we can't, we can't seem to get that working for us in Frankfurt. Right. Unfortunately, red tape bureaucracy. Yes, you know that's <laughs> that's why most uh, private companies don't offer pensions anymore because they're too expensive. Too expensive. Um, and so, um, something I want to get into, and this this is something we'll kind of dive a little deeper in. What we're seeing in the economy with uh, in terms of inflation uh, now, the inflation, the headline inflation numbers are not high no but when you look at dollars that are spent from a a practical real world standpoint what's been getting more expensive the three big ones uh student debt yes you look at the 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 balance of student debt uh out there you know you you, we've actually in the last few years uh actually about two and a half years non-housing debt has actually risen above housing debt from a household standpoint <clears throat> now i'm gonna make you pause right on that go for so it just say what you just said again i mean because i want to make sure everybody hears this non-housing related debt, debt is higher than housing related debt now, that is something to pay attention to absolutely wow so you look at oh my god the average uh wages in the u.s is around 60 where's that statistic Sixty one thousand three hundred seventy two dollars i think was the yep. median that's it. right yes correct so, during so over 30 years um three decades uh through 2017 uh incomes are up about 14 percent in inflation adjusted terms now housing prices have swelled 290% inflation adjusted, and tuition at colleges has gone up 311%. That's 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 real-world inflation. That's the prices 
of things going up. And the same thing with, with cars. Um, those have also gone up. Um, but you think about the average price of a car is, you know, in the 30000 range. So if the average household's earning 61000 you're going out and buying a new car, that's half your income, disposable income, that's going to a car. Which is not uncommon. Which that's is not right. uncommon. So throw, throw the numbers up there. I mean, consumer debt is over $4 trillion. That's right. Okay? So let's just put it to you this way. There's 327 million people in the United States of America. So that, that averages to $12,232 per living human being in the United States of consumer debt. That's not mortgage debt. Right. That's right. It's a little daunting, isn't it? You look at uh, debt service. <clears throat> now, this is interesting because we're talking about interest rates. As interest rates have gone down, the amount of debt that the average person has taken on has increased. But their debt service, the percentage of their income, has actually decreased. Um, so in the first quarter of 19, 9.9%. Uh, uh, is how much was going to debt service versus uh, in the fourth quarter of 07, that number was 13.2%. So as interest rates have gone down, people have taken on more debt, but they're actually able to service that debt. Uh, it's, it's a lower percentage. Now, all of this, it, it stems to the confidence of the consumer. <clears throat> Someone's not going to take on the debt if they don't believe that their job's not going to be there in a year. That's right. They're more comfortable taking on the debt. Now, that can cut both ways. Um, you know, we saw during the uh, – uh, when the government shut down, <clears throat> you had banks coming and saying, well, we're going to forgive – uh, you know, the we're going to forego the interest payments, the penalty payments, uh, because, you know, people couldn't make their payments. Um I can't stress enough, and this is something our clients have done so well. <clears throat> Be mindful of your personal balance sheet, you know, where your cash is going. One thing that really jumps out at me at this, because these non-housing related uh, uh, things th that the debt is on, student loans, you can make an argument that, well, you're getting an education, you're going to have a higher uh, income because of it. But auto loans, credit cards, these are expensive things to find. You're, you're, you're financing consumption with debt. So auto loans, boom, right when you buy it, you have debt on a depreciating asset. I, this, there's so much to talk about about this. And first thing I want to touch on is you just mentioned it, and that's consumer confidence. I think it's important for our listeners to hear this because – this is why the people are going deeper into debt. And, and they're getting deep into debt mm -hmm. based on their job situation. So the uh, Consumer Confidence Index came out, you know, through July. And 40% uh, believe that business conditions are good. So that's positive, right? Mm -hmm. However... Those saying business conditions are bad also increased to 11%. So it's 
there's start we're starting to see an increase that all conditions are changing okay but when people were asked about they do they feel like there's plentiful job opportunities and they're safe in their jobs that's up to 46 percent okay and where 12.8 percent said jobs are hard to get so overall, you have a real strong consumer confidence right now, right. which reflects why they're borrowing more money. Mm-hmm. But it's not making any sense. They're spending more money on I, – when I started looking at some of the averages of what people owe, it was a little bit concerning. Absolutely. One job, they're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they lose their job or they get laid off or somebody gets hurt and injured – They're in deep trouble, and there was a lot of examples of this in this article about folks and the type of debt that they have. That's right. The the when you're trying to build uh, assets, build savings, the the more you can reduce borrowing for everyday consumption things, be it credit cards um, or or other other things that that aren't appreciating assets if you look back in history the things that have appreciated the most have been investments stocks bonds well not bonds but stocks in in general that's where you've had the appreciation uh in value yeah and the more you direct your cash flow to things that aren't assets that you can hold on to and grow then you're you're, it, it the harder it is to build something and we're not talking about something we, we can talk about this when we come back from the break, but the stress, the anxiety. Oh, my gosh. That is, you know, related to debt. That's right. And they've got student loan debt. They've got increasingly high auto debt, and then they have a mortgage. That's right. And we need to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP. Life is filled with many numbers, but just remember one of them. 630, your one place for reliable information you use every day. The up-to-date information. That's affecting me on my day-to-day. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with. You will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Reverend, Reverend, please come quick. Cause I got something to admit. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. 
Guy Huglet and Mike Johnson in this morning. Like that guy, Coulter. He's great. The market in the last 10 years, um, you look at the the trends in investing. um, uh, Obviously, indexing has become more prevalent, um, which is you're owning the broad market. Right. What we're seeing now uh, is more and more uniformity across mutual funds. Um, so let's say uh, someone owns 10 different mutual funds. Um, the overlap in those funds are, at, in general, at record highs right now. Uh, some of the most crowded trades, um, MasterCard, Microsoft, Amazon, Abbott Labs. Uh, these are some of the, 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 the stocks that all funds owned. Or, or currently own. So you're, you're seeing this correlation get higher and higher amongst funds themselves. So one fund is highly correlated with another fund. Um, and that just, that just happens naturally when trades get crowded um, because mutual funds, they're going to be more inclined uh, to own, you know, if, if they have a billion dollars in new assets that come in, they have to get that money invested. So where are they going to invest it? They're going to invest it in the larger companies because they have to get it invested. Um, and so you're, it's, it's the classic yeah. example of groupthink. Yes, groupthink. I, I can't tell you how many times it's such a common uh, thing when we're sitting down with someone new, we do an analysis of what they currently own. And many times it's not individual stocks, it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds. And when we run, uh, you know, kind of a dissection of, of what they own, they're amazed at how similar all these things are. All the funds are identical. That's right. They all own the same stocks, right? That's right. But they think they've got three or four different funds. Exactly. Right. There, there was an old uh, mantra that, uh, you know, in, in investing that uh, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. <laughs> and, I love it. And what, what, what it means is, is if you buy something that everybody else owns, it's safe for the yeah. advisor, quote unquote safe. And now when I mean safe, this is from the advisor's standpoint. If everybody out there, let's say the market drops 20%, and everybody out there is dropping 20%, and your investors drop 20%, do the exact same, well, it's just what everybody else did. You know, you're not, you're not taking um, the, the needs of the client into account. You're taking your own needs when you do something like that. The advisor is. And that's something we do not do at the pre-financial. That's right. Right, Mike? I mean, we are a candid, diligent guide. We're forthright, okay, with, you know, our approach and our relationship with the client. Mm-hmm. And and we're not going to – we're going to put their interest first because we're a fiduciary, meaning we will not put our interest first. That's right. Have to put theirs first. That's right. It would be – honestly, it would be so much easier just to put the money in an investment or in a, a mutual fund, like an index fund or a mutual fund and just – let it ride. And then, you know, if a client comes in, oh, well, you know, the market's down, sorry, we don't do that. 
Um, we are not trying to go with the group, so to speak. We're trying to take Betty Smith, which is a false name, just throwing yep. this out there. Right. Um, we're, we're sitting hypothetical. down. With, hypothetical. <laughs> we're, we're sitting down with her and saying, okay, here is what she is looking for. Here's what she needs. She needs income. She is looking for uh, less volatility. These are her needs in her life, and we're building out the portfolio to try to match those needs. We're not trying. We're we're kind of putting our neck out there in a sense because we're not just following the group. You know, to be a value investor, which we we're, I say, you know, we all say we're value investors with an income bent. You know, we're looking for income and we're looking for value. When you're looking for value, naturally you go against the crowd because right. you're looking in areas that might be beaten up that are out of favor. And we have folks, you know, on staff that that's what they do all day long. Right. They're, they're research driven. They're looking at every company and they're looking at value buys. I mean, I, you know, the mm -hmm. market was being a little bit goofy this week because sure. all the tweets and all the stuff going on, interest rate cuts, et cetera. But I remember hearing you say, Mike, great opportunities yeah. to buy right now. That's you right. know, and, and that's what we do. We're mm -hmm. always looking for the right opportunity for our clients. Right. And the, the, the backbone of the portfolio is the income stream. You know, growth, uh, tell, our, tell our clients, you know, growth is great when it's growing we'll take it you know everybody's happy but the 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 backbone is always the income because that's the part that's much more consistent yeah. the income comes from the dividends and interest payments from bonds that doesn't fluctuate with the market you know because that comes from the underlying business that the company's involved in you know one thing that i love about tom dupree is he's consistent that's right you know he really believes in his approach and his philosophy and he's been doing this for 40 plus years and he's never he's never altered course you know he's he's practiced he's worked hard he's learned what to do right what's wrong and he continues to focus on what works that's right and he knows what works and he doesn't get caught up in all that and he's taught all of us that's right. how important that is that's exactly right you know we were looking you know last year when the market was all over the place you know we use that as buying opportunities you know in the last week or so we've used that as some buying opportunities so it's but it all stems like you said from the research and that's what tom has always preached know what you own research you know kind of boots on the ground yeah looking at the companies the financials talking with them yeah um if if you're listening uh, and you've not come in to see us um give us a call uh 859-233-0400 dupree financial group check us out on facebook our website website dupree financial you know, I hope I hope folks have enjoyed what we've talked about. You know, our job is to educate and empower our clients so they can live an enjoyable life in retirement, and that's why we do this radio show. and And uh, we have a lot of fun, and uh, we have a lot of fun down at the Pre Financial. And we hope you'll come visit us sometime because uh, I think I think you'll find it worth your time. That's right. 
we don't charge for meetings um and uh you know we're a fiduciary so legally we have to put our clients interests ahead of our own um you'll know what you own why you own it there's accountability yes appreciate everyone tuning in this morning hope uh hope you have a great weekend yep you've been on here with guy huglet and mike johnson you're listening to the tom dupree show on news radio 630 wlap